Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. You continue to hear us week by week as our interviews and discussions drop on Mondays. We like to leave you little teasers over the weekend um, as to what's coming. Even with that being said, uh, Jason did a little bit of traveling. So it's the first time we've been able to connect face-to-face here in our recording, in our, re- our air quote recording studios um, in about a, a little over a week, I think. Yep. Um, yep. Even though material hasn't stopped, we have got some, we've had some great interviews. Um, we just had that phenomenal interview, in effect, a, a RPG writing clinic um, yeah. with Jim Johnson yeah. at Modifius. Thank you again, Jim. A big thank um, you. For, for the record, as of right now, yeah. the, the next week, Jim's interview is our all-time record for first week downloads. So I think that says a lot about Jim and what and his work with Modifius and around Star Trek. Yeah, and, and self-deprecating humor could be inserted here, but in all seriousness, thank you, Jim, because um, you've been a, a, a fan of the podcast and we've been a fan of you for a while and mm-hmm. the material mm-hmm. that you and your team put together. So sincere thanks. Yeah. Um, coming up to this week, we've, we're starting, yeah. in effect, another round of interviews. And yep. Yep. Um, we really wanted to even broaden beyond um, areas that we've hit before and talk mm-hmm. with creatives mm-hmm. in... Um, the gaming world in areas that we just hadn't gotten to yet. It wasn't for any lack of interest or lack of trying. It's just, we got so busy and we scheduled ourselves so heavy um, that we had to put a push a pause button on interviews for a little bit till we caught up. Of course, because of my travels, we, the pause button was held for rather long and now we're scrambling to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. So now, so now what's interesting is, is as you're, as you're listening to us here, I, I know I shouldn't be breaking the fourth wall of time, but um, we are literally recording this the weekend before this drop the weekend before. Yeah. So you listening to it on Monday, you'll know that we just recorded it a couple of days before. Yep. Um, yep. This week. Um, so let me back. This, this is pretty cool. That. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, Jason, you found a book um, early on when we started um, deciding we were going to do some playing again. I did. And then I think you might have told me about it, but with with the few more books that I, I had have a few more than you on the shelf. So I think it, I think I lost track of the book and I don't mean that in any negative way, but then it popped up on my um Amazon list and I picked it up. I picked up yep, yep. Um, a book called the ultimate RPG game masters world building guide. Yep. <clears throat> and you know, we, you've heard us talk about world building on here. All is a favorite topic. Yep. Yeah. It we really could, is. we could have an old ep- We could have a bunch of episodes. that would put you all to sleep. Just talking about world building or, or conceivably have now had 50 of them, but go on. Yeah, pretty much. So pick that up. Love the book. Um, and then, um, looked at the character backstory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and became a real fan of the author of these books, mm-hmm. um, James D'Amato. Yes. So um, I found James out on Twitter and uh, messaged him and asked him if he'd be willing to join us for an interview. He was more than gracious in doing like, that. Like so many people in the RPG community, just a lovely person. Yeah, absolutely lovely person. And so we'll hear tonight... 
um, him talking about, you know, his, his story behind writing, how he got into mm-hmm. RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a bit about his books. Yes. Um, and then, um, you know, after we're done with the interview, we'll come back and, and talk about some of the themes and some of the topics yep. that came up because I think yep. they are important ones. Oh, and, and that's kind of how we're going to start start in in a moment. Just uh, just in case everyone or literally everyone isn't clear, if any of you out there don't know of James D'Amato, which I I honestly think is pretty unlikely if you are if you're at all involved with RPGs with tabletop RPGs. Um, James really he I, I think he and his and his partners have this little empire that's begun in the RPG world I mean between the notoriety of his books uh, like you were saying Brad between the notoriety of his one-shot podcast um I don't know maybe it's just our bubble Brad but but when I'm out there uh, certainly online or in the bookstores uh, looking for RPG related content or material, James's name and and works they pop up they pop up everywhere um and so we were we were as as we often are really pleased to interview those we interview we were really looking forward to interviewing James because he's he's done a number of things in and around the RPG universe and as you'll hear in momentarily in our interview with him um he has a really interesting background Right, we does very cool, and and you know he obviously has his one shot podcast, Mm -hmm. the one shot podcast network. Mm -hmm. Um, You know we'll have the links with information to his podcast and all that in the show notes. If you haven't seen them yet, we will also drop them onto a tweet when it releases. Um, I think one of the things going into this that I was fascinated by, and we talk about a bit, is something that we haven't talked about but mm-hmm. really was um, an interesting one. Don't read the text I sent you. Keep talking. Yeah, I just read the text you sent me. So Jason <laughs> Jason gives me, direct, he, he's the director and he'll give me directing <laughs> cues during the, so he'll be like, stop hitting the table. But it wasn't the table, it was my cable yes. from my headset. Yeah. So, and then he sent me one a little more. Uh, That's right, everybody. Just really working on the best audio possible yeah, that, experience. Yeah, so we'll go with that. But yeah. Getting back to that after I got yeah. flummoxed by your pep text, yes. Yes. the idea of a micro RPG. We yeah. haven't talked about micro RPGs. Not yet. In the context. And yeah. James, I think we're going to look back and see that our discussions with him about this, because he has the ultimate micro RPG book as one of his yeah, published yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. I think this will be a point where people will, will look, we will look back and say, okay, this is when we started talking about them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, and, and maybe not just that topic, but maybe a few no. topics. And we don't want to, we, we don't want to give anything away because yeah. the interview is about to come up. But I, I think so. Like, like you said, Brett, he's just, he's, uh, he's just done a lot of interesting things in and around RPGs. Um, something, something that Brad and I are eager to talk about with all of you is uh, akin to what James brought up. But you know, at Dyson Mind, our our shtick, if you will, from the very beginning, has been to use RPGs to look at real life and vice versa, as as a couple of middle aged professional fathers 
husbands, etc. Right? How how does this jibe with reality, and how does reality jibe with the the you know dismissal of reality we love so much in our games? And as you'll hear, not to overly presage the interview, but as you will hear in a moment, um, James's discussion really, really, I mean, he just went right. We didn't even really have to ask him anything. He was just there. And he brought up something that, you know, you and I, Brad, have talked about many times over the years that it's important in real life to be able to see a path for yourself, at least see the next step. Uh, and, and to be able to really ask oneself, not just, well, what are the opportunities in front of me, but which ones are likely to result in success? And maybe more importantly, which ones are likely to result in me doing meaningful work, whatever it is, and feeling good while I'm doing it? And I don't, I don't mean that in a Pollyanna-ish way in terms of feeling good about what I'm doing. I mean... I mean, am I, am I able to see in front of me, whether it's in a year or three years, does this fit? Can I see myself doing this and being whole? Can I see myself as a fairly integrated individual, right? Sowing my creative or intellectual or mechanical or whatever oats along the way. And, um, you know, James, we appreciate you bringing us back to our core mission like that totally unintentionally that this is the stuff we want to talk about now of course this can shed beautiful light on how we play our pcs but yeah. but in real life it's it's important what one of the drivers that brought you and me brad to this podcast was just that we wanted to do something around rpgs in a way that would fit for us, that we could derive some personal benefit. It's clearly not for the money. No. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so James is gonna go there and it's really kind of cool because then you hear about it through the lens of here's this really creative guy who's, who's made a living of it, but not just by being creative, but I think by being really careful in his planning and really honest with himself of what, what should be next. And I hope as you listen to this, you hear, I mean, going into this, obviously, you know, um, the fascination with his story and his experiences and writing and, and all the other stuff you're going to hear is great, but there's a message there. Yeah. I think it's an important one. I think to your point, this is an important message for all that transcends even gaming. He, yes. he, and he talks about it in a way that hopefully it's resonant with you because it was resonant with us. We yeah, all clearly. have had our struggles in one form or another yes. when it comes to finding yes. professional personal peace. Yes. Um, and that's a topic that, you know, I'll embarrassingly admit, I didn't expect to come up in the, in it, and it no. was really, really well-timed in, in a good way. Yeah. It, it really was. <laughs> With the way, way, the way society has yes. been these days. Yes. So, so, you know, I think, I think that's a great segue. Why don't we uh, share the interview? And then everybody will circle back around with you at the end of the interview for uh, the GM's Corner. So here we go. James D'Amato is the author of the Ultimate RPG series, co-founder of the One Shot Podcast Network, and host of the One Shot and Campaign Skyjacks podcasts. He trained at Second City and IO in Chicago in the art of improvisational comedy 
He now uses that education to introduce new people to role-playing and incorporates improvisational storytelling techniques to create compelling and entertaining stories for RPG campaigns and one-shot adventures. So as you heard earlier, we have James D'Amato with us. James, you're a writer, a podcaster, a gamer, um, and that's probably just one small facet of your life. <laughs> so question for you, we'll dive right in. How did you end up um, going down the path and starting to write from an RPG yeah. perspective? Well, um, you know, for, for the books, at least, uh, that was a publisher reaching out to me um, because of my podcasts. Uh, oh. I work with a company called Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Mm -hmm. um, and Adams Media uh, is like a, a lovely little group to work with. They usually try to find people that they see as experts or, or who are knowledgeable in a field and, you know, approach them to write different books. So their, their yeah. catalog is, is a little odd, but they, uh, my, my editor was specifically researching RPGs and, and yeah. came across um, my network and our name and uh, asked me what I thought originally was to contribute to an anthology. Uh, Cause the first book that I wrote was uh, the character backstory guide. And they were like, yeah, we want to do a book that is like a hundred exercises of, of backstories uh, or, or that, that could expand on the backstories of characters that you could use to like, you know, influence uh, your game and character and whatnot. I thought that was interesting. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, that sounds very cool. I'm, I'm very happy to be included. And they had me write up a sample uh, for the book yeah. um, that was like three exercises and then I, a couple weeks later, got a contract in the email and I was reading over the contract and saw that it said, you know, you're expected to write a 50,000 word book. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you want me to write the whole thing? Uh, I thought I was like contributing to a portion of it, but no, you, you had meant that I would write the whole thing. Um, I, I talked to my editor. I was like, I don't, I don't know that I can do this. Yeah. And she's like, I, you know, let's, let's give it a shot and see if you can. And uh, I did. And here I am like five books later. Uh, so incredible. How, how long did it take you to, cause that was your first book. I'm assuming that was my first book. Um, how long did that take? Well, they uh, give you a very narrow time window uh, for, for drafting. Um, mm -hmm. That is just how kind of the modern publishing industry right. operates. Uh, I was given two months to, to draft that. Oh, my God. Uh, manuscript, mm -hmm. which is what, one of the things actually like looking back, because, you, you know, you point out that I had never written a book before. Um, and I do think like, well, I love the character backstory guide. And I think there is a bunch of useful stuff in it. Um, I don't think all 100 exercises are universally equally uh, as, as useful as, as the sure. others. I, I think it shows uh, what what was, uh, you know, a very intentional design choice and what was filler um, yeah, right. pretty well. But I, I do feel like, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. And, and you know, every book since has kind of grown in mm -hmm. uh, scope and, and usefulness. And uh, I, like I've said, I still do like the, the character backstory guide. Um, but, you know, it being the first book that I've ever written and, and being done in two months, uh, I feel like you can see it in some places. Mm -hmm. Well, because like like we were talking before we started recording a moment ago that when when 
when I got back into RPGing, one of the first books I picked up was your gameplay guide. And, and you know, that's obviously a bit of a different animal than the, mm-hmm. than the, the first one, but that, that certainly did not feel, you know, like it was regurgitated, like it was reiterative. I mean, it, 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 it moved step by step by step. And like every chapter was like, oh yeah, this is new. This fits. That's, that is very funny. I would say of all of the books that I've written, um, the gameplay guide was probably what I would call the most painful to write (laughs) just in terms of being difficult. Like musicians will talk about like having a second album syndrome or, or, or what have you. I really felt that with the gameplay guide, because unlike the character backstory guide, which, you know, had the structure of we want 100 exercises, you know, whatever that means to you, we want 100 of them. Um, This one was like, they were like, you know, explain how to do it. And a thing that I say about RPGs is they are so vast and so complex. There are a a, a dozen really incredible skills uh, that that you can nurture to, you know, be quote unquote, good at one aspect or another of, of what it takes to to run a game or even play in a game. Um, and I was like, well, you know, the, the scope of it, it, it's too much. And one of the things uh, that I like to point out when I talk to people about my books is I don't get to pick the titles of these books. I did oh, not decide okay. to call these the ultimate uh, RPG guys. <laughs> that, that was the uh, top marketing minds over at Adams Media. Um, and I, I think like there is absolutely no way that anyone could do an ultimate guide on how to play RPGs um, because there is so much to it. And, and so yeah, much of yeah. it is like subjective and individual. Uh, but what I did think I had a reasonable chance of doing was kind of explain what my approach is and allow that uh, to inform people to either agree with or, or, or disagree with so that they can hone their own approach. Like if you yeah, yeah. pick up the gameplay guide cover to cover and go, well, that's wrong. I disagree with that. I hate this. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense. Like it, though, maybe not that this doesn't make any sense part, but like if you see what I am saying and you yeah. disagree um, and it, uh, my hope is that it helps you define more what you think and think more intentionally mm-hmm. about how you approach different aspects of play because, because then there is useful information for everyone. It certainly felt that way to me. I mean, it, it, it felt like a true sandbox, but one with rules, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it really moved. Yeah. M- much like RPGs themselves. Right. Right. True, true sandbox, but with rules. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with, if, if we even step back further, um, you know, what's the story in you developing the, the One Shot podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, so One Shot, I, I uh, moved to Chicago uh, to pursue comedy professionally. Like uh, when you are a comedian, you kind of have like it's it's changing more and more as uh, physical space matters so much less. But, you know, when I was leaving college, you kind of had three choices. You could either go to New York and try stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. You could go to L.A. and, you know, try to be an actor of some kind. Or you could come to Chicago and learn improv. Um, And improv, uh, you know, there isn't a career end goal really with improv. I mean, like you can teach and whatnot, but it's probably not going to be your only job. But it was like the one thing that I saw where there was 
kind of a curriculum about how you define a skill. Like acting, you know, is so heavily laden with like, there are big institutional things behind it. You can get degrees in acting. Mm -hmm. You can get Mm -hmm. postgraduate degrees in acting. Um, And a lot of the coursework that I saw when I was in college didn't really match up with what my goals were. Like, uh, you know, if I want to be a performer, I don't really see it as necessary to learn a bunch of theater history. Um, So I was like, "Mm, that, that doesn't really call to me. And stand up is stand up is, is a craft and talent that you are very self-directed in, in how you develop it. Uh, you know, it's the reaction that you get from the audience. It's fine tuning night after night and you have to tangle with, well, is my joke not working? Is it not connecting with an audience? Is it not connecting with this audience? There's so much fine tuning. I, I think it's a fascinating craft, but it felt so undirected. Um, and rejection laden um, and and it yeah, needs yeah. to be self-motivated. So I kind of found like, ah, oh, you know, it's so isolating. And I did a bunch of like open mics and stand-up stuff uh, in mm-hmm. Denver when I was in high school. And mm-hmm. I saw the older comedians around me and so many of them were miserable, just oh. absolutely miserable and isolated people. And I was like, well, you know, if I take a swing at this career and I miss, that yeah. feels like that's the trajectory yeah. for you, which doesn't feel great. And that's right. not something that I want. Right. Um, so I tried improv here in Chicago, which is a, you know, group thing. Like there mm-hmm. is an individual journey that you take as an improviser, but like you are also part of a team and you're learning as a team and growing as a team. And, you know, I would still see improvisers who, you know, m- maybe didn't manage to make a career out of it. Uh, like they were, uh, you know, teaching, but like not teaching full time. Um, and mostly their day job is, is what they were concerned with. So like, you know, in, in some respects, if you are a young person in your twenties who has aspirations of like making a career out of comedy, you can uncharitably look at that and go like, oh, well, that person didn't quite make it. But the thing that I noticed about, about those folks is they seemed a lot happier, you know, they had friends, Mm -hmm. they were doing things. And it was like, okay, okay. If you go down the improv route and you miss there's, there is a life for you that doesn't feel like it is tinged with bitterness. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go do this improv thing. Um, and I made a lot of friends through doing classes and performances and whatnot. And one of my friends uh, turned me on to uh, one of the first podcasts that I listened to, which is Improv for Humans uh, by Matt Besser, who was one of the founders of uh, UCB Theater. Um, and we listened to that and we were like, not only did we enjoy the show, we were like, we could do this. It seems like the only thing yeah. that is separating us from this type of performance is owning a microphone. <laughs> and I bought a microphone and it was electrifying. Like, it, mm. you know, a lot of what you have to do in really any kind of entertainment uh, is wait for other people's permission to begin working. Uh, you yeah, know, if you're yeah. a stand-up, you got to go to open mics and you got to keep going every week and meet yeah. people and network with people so that you can get the good slots and then, you know, maybe find an agent and get booked. But you don't really control whether or not you can work apart from staying out till 2 a.m. every night to right. get like the worst open mic slot imaginable. Uh, yeah. Um 
And in, uh, you know, even in improv, which is a lot more freeform and like Chicago used to have a beautiful and vibrant improv scene where you could conceivably perform every night of the week if you put in the legwork to like wow. go out to bar prov with your team where, you know, this isn't a traditional theater. This is literally a bar that right. has the stage, uh, but they will do improv shows. So like, you know, but even that is still like, you need to go through these organizational hoops. You need to submit yourself to things like you are still waiting for other people's permission to perform. But with podcasting, once we had the microphone and yeah, a way to yeah. upload the podcast, we could perform whenever we wanted. And we could have that, you know, reach out to people. And, you know, even my, my, my first few episodes of our old podcast, like the overshare would get something like 40 or 60 downloads. But when you think of it, like, I would dream of playing to a house that is like 40 to 60 people um, right. uh, for improv. Like right. that's a great audience actually. Um, yeah. So, you know, immediately I had like sort of the freedom over, over my domain um, yeah. more so that, than I had had in any of like the channels uh, for, for comedy that, that I had tried. Um, mm -hmm. And I was also like connecting with an audience, like in, in larger ways uh, than I had in the past. Yeah. So I was getting a lot of fulfillment from this and uh, oh. me and my friend with our podcast, we joined up with a podcasting network that is sadly oh. now defunct called peaches and hot sauce. <laughs> and the <laughs> head of that network, uh, Patrick O'Rourke, who, who has since gone on, I believe works with Hasbro now over on the Avalon Hill line. So like oh. the people that do um, uh, betrayal at the house on the Hill and, and that, that sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, he was like, hey, James, I know that in college you played role-playing games and there's a podcast on this other network uh, where they record role-playing games. Uh, can yeah. you do something like that for, for us at, over at Peaches and Hot Sauce? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, probably. And I was of the opinion, and I, I, I think it will be a funny surprise to many people listening to this as, as they hear it. I was of the opinion that like, well, you know, the th kind of magical thing about role-playing games is you really can't export the experience of that. Like you have to be at the table playing right. really enjoy it or get something out of it. Like that's, that's what makes it work. And like to, to, to some degree, it's like, yeah, it is not the same thing to listen to a game as, as be in a game, yeah. but you know, I was skeptical of, of the whole affair, but I was like, okay, you know, if we're going to do this, let, 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 let's see what's out there. And I looked around and pretty much every podcast, whether it was a video stream or, or an audio feed or anything, they were playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, mm -hmm. or they were playing Pathfinder. Um, yeah. At that time, the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign was extremely popular. Right. right. And it felt like every time you looked for like some kind of role-playing actual play, they, they were just playing Rise of the Rune Lords. Yeah. Um, so it was like, you know, from my experience at college, I knew that role-playing games were so much more than that, like mm -hmm. a, a much more vibrant design space. And mm -hmm. I barely knew anything even at that time, but like I had played like 11 different role-playing games. You know, I, I definitely thought I was hot shit and, and like, yeah. um, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Go um, for it. Yeah, like I, I thought I thought it was super knowledgeable, but I was at least knowledgeable enough to to be dangerous to say like there is more to role playing games than simply playing D and D and Pathfinder, even yeah. if those yeah. are lovely things, you know, right. on their own. So it's like if I'm going to do a show, the show concept is going to be to explore 
what is out there, what is possible. Um, yeah. And that's what One Shot became about. It was yeah. to find different role-playing games and play them um, and play them with people who had a background in improv and comedy, play with mm -hmm. people who were trained to perform and trained to like tell these improvisational stories uh, for an audience and with an audience in mind. Yeah. Um, and th that's how we did. I like my, my, and the goal there was to like make these games more accessible, let people know what is out there and make them entertaining and fun um, and, and sort of show off the depth and breadth that uh, role-playing yeah. games are capable of. Yeah, it's it's so neat because I mean, what you guys have done, it's so diverse, right? You you haven't pigeonholed, like though. I, I have to admit, for the past ten minutes, all I can see in my head is your inevitable memoir podcast, improv, yeah. a life that doesn't suck, right? Just just like <laughs> I mean, it, I, I was I was thinking that would not be a good recruitment method for programs in college if they were trying to, you know. But still, it's really cool what you say though in terms of you know, following that yellow brick road of some things are going to lead to happiness and some things are not. And you have, you have to be whole, you've got to do what's going to make you feel good. Yeah. And like, I could, I cannot argue that improv as an art form inherently won't lead to bitterness um, or that stand up inherently will. Um, yeah. But the observations that I made, um, yeah. you know, let, let me know that like, if you try walking this path, this is a, this is a yeah. non-zero possibility for you. Right. So, you know, figure yeah. out, figure out how you want to do things in a way that will, that will work best for you. You know, taking, and, a, oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say even more than improv, the, the, the thing that ended up being for me was podcasting. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And I, I was just going to observe again. I mean, we're, we're, you know, neither of us are, are, artists i mean brad you're a musician but we're not like artists we're not creatives in that in, our, in that regard right i i mean we ask my children i am questionably funny but improv from from, from from an outside perspective improv really seems in just the past few years to be gaining traction societally i just i hear about it and especially in the rpg world but even more broadly it seems to be recognized more and more it is a fascinating observation for you to make because it is largely dead um, as an institution here in Chicago because of COVID. COVID has, oh, has sure. murdered it. Yeah. Um, the uh, <laughs> the 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 primary theaters uh, and like there are still functional theaters here in Chicago and they are mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but like the venerable theaters, uh, Second City and yeah. IO, yeah. formerly the Improv Olympic, which used to be like. Those are the theaters, you know, that are the beacon calling to people from all corners to Chicago um, are gone now. Uh, you know, one was bought wow. out by a private equity firm that I don't know what they intend to do with Second City. But, uh, you know, wow. I, I can't imagine that uh, they are going to be running it in a way that is good or useful for students. And IO, I believe, was bought by like real estate developers that did say they intend to do improv uh stuff still somehow but like you know none of none of it is owned by like people who care about the art form uh so like you know there are wonderful independent theaters if you come to chicago you can still learn improv and learn from people who did go through you know programs at io or second mm -hmm, city mm -hmm. and hopefully from people uh who will run those programs in in a better and less exploitative way than mm -hmm. those institutions operated um but like what 
I, anything that I would call improv uh, or what the improv culture here in Chicago yeah. uh, is erased, is, is, is simply Incredible. gone. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, there are easier ways for improv to reach people these days. Like, uh, right. you know, you've got the, the slate of programming over on Dropout, which has a lot of improv-led content. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got, you know, innumerable podcasts that are either doing straight improv or are you know doing actual play which is i genuinely believe role-playing games are just very complex improv forms yeah yeah absolutely do you see a future for it and you've kind of alluded to it but is there a true future for it out online um you know it, it's hard to say uh like it, i i will say people have made success uh in using improv to like propel themselves uh in into careers like mm -hmm. you see it you see it in the hello from the magic tavern group and you know another adult revised starring podcast the hey riddle riddle folks like uh they are leveraging their improv skills to create uh content and and that connects with an audience and that audience does go on and try to do their own improv so mm -hmm. like yeah i i don't think i don't think Improv, just in, in the cultural theater sense of what the culture used to be, is gone. Um, I, I think it will persist, but uh, the ways in which it will persist, I, I think, are very different. There was, you, you know, there, there were a lot of theaters here in Chicago that were doing improv for improv's sake. Um, and that is a lot harder to manage now as it's difficult to, it's even more difficult to attract an audience to yeah. your theater. Um, and it is, uh, you know, like the, the venues are, are expensive and there aren't the same schools that are localizing people into one place so that you can meet other like-minded people and go off and form your independent groups. It, it's mm -hmm. just more difficult. Um, I, and just because I don't recognize it doesn't mean that there aren't wonderful performers right now who are thriving um, under this new culture too. As, as an improv artist, as a, as a creator, um, given all this change and, and your success, writing, podcasting and whatnot, it, does it do it for you? It does, does it allow you to sow those improvisational oats, those artistic notes, uh, oats well enough? Yeah. I mean, so one thing to, to keep in mind is that, well, I, I did love improv and doing improv. I don't think that was like the home of where my soul was, you know, mm -hmm. I, a lot of the people that I play with, um, you know, saw much more success in improv than, than I ever did. Like Johnny O'Mara and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Liz Anderson and I, I know John Patrick Cohen, you know, and, and Tyler Davis, like they were all on improv teams uh, that, that were house teams, like mm -hmm, at, mm -hmm. at, at IO, uh, Tyler was on main stage at Second City, like uh, they, you know, worked in within this theater system a lot better than I did. I never passed those auditions. I managed to get into and through the conservatory, um, but it hit a point where I was seeing so much more momentum through podcasting than I was uh, through, through improv and theaters that, I decided to like let improv in theaters kind of go on its own way and focus my efforts on podcasting. And I haven't regretted that at all. Um, but I, I definitely get a lot of artistic fulfillment through uh, what, what I do in, in podcasting um, and what, what I see as using improv in podcasting. Nice. nice. Yeah, I see, you know, just, you know, looking at 
what's out there. We didn't, when we started doing this, we didn't want to really overlap because um, mm-hmm. there's so, there's so much out there and there's such good quality of it. But one of the things that I found interesting was this idea of, you can go out to Twitch and I don't, this is not a, I'm not disparaging anyone. You go out to Twitch and you can see, you know, people like Jason and I out there um, on a video playing a game. It's mm-hmm. just gameplay. The more we got into it, the more we saw podcasts, the more we saw these well-refined shows that, yeah. you know, in many ways are radio, you know, they are radio ready right now. They could be out there if radio had had a meet, you know, a, you know, something beyond podcasting. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> from your perspective, you know, where do you see yourself going, you know, even beyond one shot and and writing and so on do you do you see yourself broadening the the brand in some way or because i know you already have you know store information and and stuff out on your on your website and you have your blog and yeah um i so like i think kind of my, my ambitions really lie with doing a lot of what i'm doing right now uh to a wider audience uh one, one of the issues yeah. that that I'm sort of contending with right now is I got into podcasting um, because it's a thing that, you know, you, I didn't need to wait for someone else's permission to do. I was able to just right, do right. on my own and, and whenever I wanted. And now I've, I've grown to a point where I need to, uh, you know, jump over certain institutional barriers or, you know, contend with resources that, that I don't, really have mm-hmm. um like most of the people who are doing what i am doing at a level that that is more successful to than me or with a wider audience than me mm-hmm. uh are famous from having done other things um sure and you know that that is that is not to disparage them because like so many of these people are, are wonderfully talented and and dear yeah. friends of mine um but you know I, I i look at matt mercer and matt mercer uh made so much has found so much success with critical role and matt is somebody who has a fan following from all of the work that that he's done in video games and animation right. Right. and also when he was doing critical role did it uh through geek and sundry which was a subsidiary of Lionsgate. so like there is a lot of of money and like yeah. notoriety there that i simply don't have access to and, and someone in my position would, would simply not have access to mm-hmm. um so you know, like if I, I can't sell things exclusively with, with my name, um, but like in order to really grow and, and thrive in different directions, I have to, you know, reach, uh, reach audiences in, in different ways and um, try to make more of a concerted effort of like being noticed and, yeah. and having find a connection with people. Um, yeah. I was just, I have to assume the books have gone some way toward that. I mean, they must be quite successful. It's interesting. The books, I would say, are, I mean, it's hard to define, but like kind of more successful than my podcasts. Like uh, the first, my, my, my character backstory guide has sold like 60,000 copies, which That's is incredible. definitely more than, um, you know, people I have every week listening to my podcast. <laughs> um 
and and you know, I, I'm sure that has grown the audience in some ways, but yeah. it, it is not like explosive growth. Sure. Um, it, it it certainly is a thing that like sustains me. I now make more money from the books than than I do uh, from one shot, um, mm-hmm. and that does allow me the space to to do things like like figure out a way that I can grow the network, and also, you know do other things in life yeah. that are unrelated to uh to to career stuff like like have a child um so <laughs> yeah it, it's uh it's it, it's nice and I, i'm super super grateful for the books uh like i i right now i i i think my primary focus and and what my career goals would be would be to uh produce the the art that I am excited and, and passionate to produce um, yeah. and do it to uh, a larger audience so that it is easier to do uh, the things that I love doing. Um, yeah. that, that, that's, it, it's a very simple place to be, but that is definitely where I am. For what it's yeah. worth, I, what yeah. it's worth, you, you, Jason will chastise me later because I tend to type at times when we're recording, but I just did a quick search and I looked up the same thing I looked up when I was you know, originally doing this about RPG world building and minus two sponsored books and no knock on them. They just, they pay for that sponsorship. You're number one and number two. Um, the RPG game, the world building is number yeah. one. And then yeah. number two is the box set. Yeah. So, um, and that's how I found it originally eons ago. Wow. Um, you know, so. I mean, any, any, yeah. I, I mean, going off of that, I, I mean, my observation is largely based on the fact that, any bookstore I've been in that has an RPG section, no matter how large or small, invariably has at least one of your books, often more, which <laughs> is um, which is a heck of a reach. I mean, that's I, pretty cool. And you know, I have to thank the the good folks at Adams Media for for providing yeah. that. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is a stark contrast between what people are able to do, even in like the mid tier RPG space versus what a large traditional publisher is, mm-hmm. is able to do um, in terms of distribution and reach. And they're even, you're, you're going to, you're re-releasing an updated expanded genre version. Oh, go so ahead. this is Ooh. another area where I don't get to pick the titles. This is an all <laughs> new book. This is, oh, it is. This is okay. not. Yeah, I I really think they shot themselves in the foot by calling it uh, the expanded genres edition. And I guess I'll see how the sales do. Um, but it's an all new book. There is every single exercise in there is brand new. Um, okay. uh, ah. It is the same concept, but it is applied to a broader range of genres. Like what some of the feedback that I've been getting over the years about the character backstory guide is like, well, this is only relevant to fantasy adventure fiction, uh, yeah. to which I say, yes, I wanted the book to sell and make money, um, which yeah, is a very, a very mercenary thing. But like they gave me mm-hmm. two months to, to write a book and I was like, you know, fantasy adventure is broadly the most popular genre. Like Absolutely. the the first two role playing games uh, on the list of best selling role playing games are fantasy adventure. Yep. And if you were to do a top ten spot, like fantasy adventure would have at least half that list. So it's like, yeah, I want this to be the most relevant to people who are who are buying the most things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And as the one shot guy, as the guy who's like role-playing games are so much more than fantasy adventure like it it, it was a weird position to be in but like i uh, looking back i don't think it was the wrong decision yeah um and now now that like i 
am in that position, um, in this position where the book has sold well, like I did want to go back and go like, okay, let's branch out from fantasy adventure. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do a character backstory guide that could be used in any campaign. Nice. Um, which is harder because like, you know, not as much of the book is going to be relevant to, to every person, but I, you know, tried to make sure that there are at least, you know, 15 or so exercises that should be, you know, relevant to yeah. almost every campaign within the, the most popular genres of, of role-playing games. Oh, I, uh, oh, go ahead, Jason. Go no, 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 go ahead, because yours is more on topic. I was going to go somewhere else for a moment. I don't know how on topic it is, but I just, you know, with your experience and, and going through going through games and all that, again, this is a hard-hitting question. Um, <laughs> any any game out there that's caught your attention that you haven't focused on? Oh, good one. Oh, yeah. a game a game that, like, I wish would, would be on the show, but I haven't yeah. had it? Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. I, I mean, yes. Like the answer is yes, probably. Um, uh, though I'm, I'm trying to think of ones that I'd like to highlight. Uh, I think uh, most of what Roan and Rook uh, Publishing Group, which is uh, for for those who wouldn't recognize the the, the publishing name, uh, Grant Howitt's company. Um, Grant has done so many tremendously successful micro RPGs um, and has been putting out some really, real, really lovely role-playing games for a very long time. They did the Spire, the Heart. Um, they're about to do a book that I hope is going to be a huge runaway success for them uh, and add up a role-playing game uh, adaptation of Grant or of, of, oh my God, why am I not? I was going to say the wrong author and embarrass myself. Kieran Gillen. Uh, Kieran Gillen's Die, uh, which is a comic uh, that is a portal fantasy about uh, role-playing games and largely about the history and uh, foundational fiction of role-playing games told through like a very edgy kind of teenage story. Interesting. Um, It's it's phenomenal. And I I think the game is going to be uh, a phenomenal as well, especially with someone like Grant behind it. Grant, Grant and, and his team is, is Grant also works with Chris's yeah. uh, design partner and, and, and Mary, like the, the business brains behind their operation. Like all of their games I know are great, um, but I also like kind of look at certain things and go like, well, these people don't need my help right now as much as like, you know, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. use this platform to promote something like The Price yes. of Coal, which is which is a lovely game about uh, the Battle of Blair Mountain and uh, kind of labor rights history in the United States. It's not the sort of game that has like a major comic book creator IP like behind right. it. Uh, right. So, uh, right. you know, it was kind of easier to go like, ah, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that up on the show um, and, mm-hmm. and have fun with that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, um, you know, there, there are plenty of games that that I would like to do. I guess Fall of Magic is, is another one that I'd like to try. I'd like to try it's either Alice is dead or Alice is missing. I can't remember the name of it by Spencer Starkey um, that I would like to check out. Like there are so many games that that's the thing about living in this beautiful age. Like every year there are dozens, if not hundreds of role-playing games that I would love to play Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that I would love to read that I would love to feature on the show. Yeah. Last question for me is, have you ever thought about creating one yourself? 
Yeah. I mean, I I have uh uh not not like the traditional 300 page volume right. role playing <laughs> games. Like right. I I've done a lot smaller systems. Uh, like uh, Millennial Apartment Hunters. Um, I did Unkindness for the micro RPG book. Um, uh, you know, I a lot of what I have done design-wise is smaller because projects like that have a lot of moving parts. Um, anything yeah, yeah. Uh, that is like a big 300 page book, like there are a lot of points of failure. There are a lot of uh, things about running a sort of business to do that, that I don't feel confident in. So I'd need mm-hmm. to be working with a publisher to get them done. Um, it is a, it is a big bet, uh, especially when, you know, your time is what you can make, your money with like i've got my podcasts i need to keep the podcast network afloat so that i can get my regular income i've got to write at least one book every year um in order to keep those those texts rolling in yep um so the idea of like yeah let's let's bet it all on a big rpg if i were to write a big you know 300 page volume skyjacks rpg for for instance like even if we made a hundred thousand on the kickstarter like probably at the end of the day i'd be lucky to see ten thousand as compensation uh, initially for that and it's like how how wise is that especially when Mm -hmm. i have a a family to you know to help support um uh, like i i would i would love to i would i would very much like to i would love to develop uh the skyjacks rpg and you know i do i i i am working on it but uh it takes time uh, no, I think no, probably no. the the art the role playing game that you will see from me that that looks the most like other role playing games uh, will be the Kingkiller Chronicle RPG that I'm working on with Pat Rothfuss. Um, but I, I I and I say this with deep love in my heart uh, that working with Pat it's a slow road. Um, so uh, you, you know we we make incremental developments because he's an extremely busy man. He has yeah. to run his charity. Mm-hmm. He has to he has to yeah. work on all, all wow. the various things he works on. He has to be a dad. Um, yeah. And so we we have these incremental meetings where we make a ton of progress uh, yeah. and slowly chip away at this so that we can finish the system and launch an actual play podcast around it and yeah. do all of those lovely things. In, incredible. I'll say we, Brad and I both have a couple teenagers and, uh, and it's, it's wonderful, but they are terrible sources of income. Uh, just has not been an effective way to make money having children. Yeah. Um, it's uh, really <laughs> difficult to monetize a child in yeah. any way that is uh, ethical. Society tends to frown on it. It really oh, is. And, yeah. and I know Jason earlier, you said your kids find you you know, extraordinarily unfunny. Just mm. for the record, most of your friends do too. Yeah, it's, so, it's true. Yeah. So on that note though, uh, one more question for you, James. Kind of the, ironically, the flip side of your question, Brad, I'm curious to put you on the spot. Do you have any games you just truly love playing? Are there any just historically or currently that in, in your mind have stood out for you over the years? I mean, my favorite game of all time is Starcrossed by Alex Roberts. Uh, I I love it for so many reasons. Uh, it is a romance RPG, which especially when I was starting out in actual play was not a popular subject matter for, for, for games. Um, and it is, in my opinion, the best designed RPG wow. ever written, or at least that I have read. Um, wow. 
in a lot of role-playing games and the, the, the way that I am defi- defining this. So, you know, I can see a lot of keyboard warriors arming themselves up. Um, in a lot of role-playing games, I, I see that there is, in the pursuit of freedom, there is a lot of unnecessary and conditional rules um, created with the intent of uh, making the game more interesting of like, well, you can only carry so much equipment and, and this is an interesting limitation put on you. But I have never met anyone who has regularly used encumbrance as a rule uh, that, that, that I have played with. It's so simply true. So true. a rule that is in the game that 90% of people will ignore. Um, yes. And, you know, it, uh, it, it, it begs the question design-wise, mm-hmm. why do you care mm-hmm. about what people are carrying? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how is this good? How is this helpful? How is this useful? And like, I can certainly see using that rule as an avenue to an interesting story. I have run yeah. games in the past where, you know, the characters find like uh, 50,000 gold pieces. It's like, okay, you found yeah. this. Right. How are you getting it back to town? Right. And that's the entire adventure is them mm-hmm. figuring out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how to logistically right. move that and not right. get robbed and not so many other things. Really interesting story can spring out from those rules, but those rules, I would say, are not a necessary piece of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that that also, you know, makes me think like, well, the designers of Dungeons and Dragons, any given edition, don't have as sharp an idea of what they want the game to be or what the game should be. Um, and part of that is subject matter based, right? Like mm-hmm. Starcrossed mm-hmm. is a role-playing game of about forbidden romance about two characters who really really want to be together but have a really good reason keeping them apart that is a extremely sharp focus so it is probably easier to write rules for a game to do that than well this is about fantasy adventure stories and fantasy adventure stories can be about you know victory hardship violence heartbreak Mm -hmm. romance can be in there too Mm -hmm. like it's, it's wider and all encompassing. Um, but like, I, I would argue even for editions of like Dungeons and Dragons that I have truly loved to play, um, there is a lot of stuff that doesn't even do the core focuses of those games very well. Yeah. So when, when I say that uh, Starcross is the best designed role-playing game that I have ever seen, every single rule in that book yeah. underscores and enhances the experience of playing through that, wow. that game. Um, if you follow every rule, um, you will have a better experience playing that game. The, the, the experience of that game will be, uh, sharper and more impactful for you. Um, if you ignore rules, you actually start to like pull back and, you know, impoverish your experience in some way. Um, you know, for instance, Starcrossed, uh, for those who don't know this game, is, uh, you know, it has that setup. Uh, people who want to be together, who have good reasons keeping them apart, uh, instead of dice or something as a mechanic, there is a Jenga tower in the middle of the table. And anytime these characters do something that increases intimacy between them, either revealing information about themselves voluntarily or involuntarily, or um, by tuxi- touching each other uh, involuntarily or voluntarily, uh, you remove a brick from the tower. And if the tower falls, your character has to act on their feelings. Um, and that can be a number of things that can be like 
a tearful confession of love that yeah. can be, you know, leaning forward and kissing someone in a moment. Um, and if it happens too soon, the, the inevitable conclusion is, well, the timing wasn't right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like even if there was chemistry there, like it wasn't enough to sustain anything. Uh, or, you know, maybe like this could be a relationship that works for you, but there are too many challenges in the world that, that pull you away and eventually for, uh, apart from each other. There are also yeah. games that you can play where the tower never falls and those emotions uh, sort of simmer between you. Um, yeah. And like, you know, you got really close, but, but you, you pulled back. And of course, if the fall, tower falls after the right amount of pulls, uh, you your characters fall madly in love and run away together, the world be damned. Um, which is a really, really compelling sort of narrative hook. I, I think much more compelling than life or death circumstances that you would find in fantasy adventure. Yeah, yeah. But one of the rules is when you are doing in-character dialogue, when you are speaking as your character, your hand must be touching the tower in some way, uh, which means oh, every time- That's interesting. You open your mouth right you risk something happening that you don't know if it's the right time for it to happen sounds about it's, right it's it's risky it's scary it exactly reflects the experience of yeah. you know having a big crush on someone <laughs> i i like it's a fascinating design and, and that is just one of many rules that i i think make that game a, a perfect experience of what a game like that should be um so yeah, I, I, I think Starcrossed oh. is just truly exceptional piece of design. And I would urge everyone to play it at least once. Um, you know, it, it's not a game I think that will connect with everybody. But like, I, I, I think if it is something that you haven't considered before in your life, it, do do make an effort to, to go try it because it will be a memorable experience for you, I can guarantee. And while you're doing it, take some time to appreciate the the mechanical like innovations of, of that game and how tightly designed it is. Yeah. Wow. Wow. James, thank you so much for spending time with us today. This is, we, we've, we've, we've loved just wandering with you. It's, you've given us so much. <laughs> no, I really mean that it truly, truly, this yeah. is our thing. And, and um, there's so much, there's so much to think about and to talk about and to follow up. Um, just a pleasure, just a pleasure to meeting you and talking with you and, you know, ongoing success with the books and the network and the child and everything that comes next. That's all really exciting. We'll have to have you come back when the, the not revised, but new <laughs> book uh, yeah. comes out. All new book, so. all new book. If you own the backstory guide, buy the new book because it is different and not the one that you have in any way, shape, or form. We will make sure to put that in the show notes, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll yeah. get it out on Twitter. I'll, yeah. Traditionally, the joke is that I'll tend to order a book while we're in the middle of a podcast, but I told Jason I would <laughs> so keep true. my hands off the keyboard for, for today. So um, until after so that nobody hears the clicking yeah so yeah. but thank you so much for for joining us we really appreciate yeah, it's been it a treat. it was it was a real treat for us yeah i really hope that all of you who have listened um heard not only the interesting background that james has yeah with improv and acting and so on and how he got into podcasting. Mm -hmm. But if you heard him talk about, and I'm not using his words and I may be overdoing it, but 
he went in a direction where he felt like he could have some inner peace yeah. and a career. Mm-hmm. And that's something I know in, in, I think in any field, I don't want to speak for you, Chase, but um, in any field, in one form or another, that's, that's a challenge. And if you can find that, um, then I think it's a story worth telling because people can learn from it, much like I did, we did listening, James, to your story. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, and I think in all honesty, we won't be able to do it justice here because we'll, we'll, we'll run too long, but I think it's a topic, this idea of, um, you know, and it kind of transcends a little bit, this, this thought process about finding a career or finding work and doing things that, that don't create additional stress and all that. I'm oversimplifying. I think that's worth having a separate discussion on. I, I think yes. if we try to do it after this, it wouldn't do it the justice that James did. Yeah. Maybe later this summer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that being said, um, you know, we still, you know, there, we'll, we're going to talk more about this one because again, like I said, we recorded this really recently. So we still have need time to digest it all because it yep. was phenomenal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but let's talk a bit about um, let's head over to the GM corner. And since yes. Jace, you've been on the, you'd been on the road, you had taken some material to read. And as a, as a little teaser, you had hoped to take a book with you but it didn't arrive in time, but it arrived <laughs> while you were gone. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You're setting me up for this. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I got a text while we were out of country. I got a text from one of my girls, uh, uh, that my, uh, my Star Trek adventures players guide had finally arrived. And so when I got home, there it was still sealed in its cellophane and, 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 and I was so tired, but I forced myself to flip through it. Now, I mean, I'd, I'd had the PDF for months, but uh, thank you, Jim. Thank you. Oh, I mean, just everybody at Modifius who is on that team. It, that was a nice, that, that was a lovely thing to come back to. It is a beautiful guide. It's on my shelf. I haven't been through it since. Maybe I will bring it upstairs with me when this episode wraps. I need to spend some quality time. Um, but it's funny you bring that up. Because what's been on my mind is as we record, like, like you said before, before the interview, um, we're recording for the, for the next while, listeners, we're recording the week leading up to the actual episode. And the, the, the silver lining to that is we can be very contemporaneous with things going on in the RPG and RPG adjacent uh, arenas because of that, not having to watch ourselves, you know, of, Oh, wait, we, we shouldn't talk about this. Or we have to be careful because this episode won't drop for four weeks. We're not there. And uh, so you all know, we have the next six interviews for the next six episodes already scheduled. Yeah. And um, I know we said this a lot, but just wait this it's, it's yeah. not going to let up. And the diversity of voices and what these people are doing, it's just fascinating. That said, as this episode drops, Star Trek Strange New Worlds Mm -hmm. has released its first two episodes. I am not attempting to waylay us. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, Brad, I'm just not to talk about now. You and I have already talked about this offline. Uh, sometime this summer, certainly by fall, I do think we're going to have to have an episode where we get into that show, assuming the next eight episodes rock as hard as the first two. 
I will simply say I am a huge fan already. And to bring it back to RPGing, okay, yeah, now I gotta go grab the guidebook and player's guide and bring it upstairs tonight. But uh, I will say, you know, I don't remember if it came out like this uh, in the interview, Brad. I know you and James and I were talking about it before we hit record the other day, but uh, my working definition of an RPG these days, of the ideal RPG, is a sandbox with rules, right? Where the oh, mechanic, yes. Right? Where, where that just kind of came up in organic conversation with James before we clicked record. And, and he was like, oh, yeah. And, I, and, and we were like, yeah, that does actually make sense. Well, Strange New Worlds is that sandbox with rules. I, I'm not going to say anything about it because I'm sure there are lots of listeners, both of you, who have not seen these episodes yet. But although, let's be honest, oh, of man. our five listeners, I have to imagine every one of them has seen it. But intricate. That's if, fair. if by that's chance fair. you just happened upon this episode. Yeah, yeah. People, people like Jim and Kelly. No, I don't think they watch Star Trek at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I, I will say, talk about a sandbox with rules, everyone. Talk about a an episodic series over a serial background where again we've all, we're only two episodes in but wow so that's what's been on my mind as of late how about you Brad well I think you know I didn't even touch on this before we hit the, the, the GM corner and I think this is something we have to talk about is the sandbox with rules because um it brings about this thought. I think we talked about it really briefly, maybe Friday after. I don't remember what, but I remember us distinctly having a conversation where I said, this is the first time we've talked where we've talked about crunchiness yeah, as some sort of, yeah, you know, requirement. As a, not, you know, as a you tool. Know. No, no. As yeah. a tool to aid play, not yes. like as opposed to the narrative. And James and, and, really put it together for us. Yeah, not hinder it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm. I, I think that's a that's a. He just introduced James. Love to have you back because I think that could mm. be a topic for an episode unto itself. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been talking here at the at the at the Brown House about doing a remodel of the office in the basement, and that's forthcoming. Yeah. So I've had to do some cleanup of my bookshelf, and yeah. rather than try to figure out how I would be able to empty it, mm-hmm. I wanted to get everything organized so that I could staple. Yes. Um, Yes, sheets exactly sheets over yep. it and then allow them to do their work yes um because i have everything as unorganized as it is and i don't like it but i have so much um yep. it's in a way that i know where it is and by doing that it interest interestingly enough and i keep going back to this two things popped up um my modern age yeah. uh, game master screen and it just got me thinking about modern age again yeah. Um, and then um, the Game Master Toolkit from... Yeah, we see, you got that right before I left, and we've not had much time to talk about that. No, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've, this, I have left it unopened. It's still sealed, yeah. I have left it unopened until you got back, because oh, then it can be a topic of conversation after sweet. we get back into the group. I didn't want to open it, because then the 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 work I had done yeah. into it would yeah. have, I didn't want to lose any of it. Awesome. So, awesome. So those, those two things, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I took a little bit of time 
a couple days while you were gone away and we talked about this the other day, I focused a little bit more on my music. Yeah. Um, on my musical studies. And there was one thing I'm going to show it on the screen. I haven't even told you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I picked up a device that allows you to assign sounds. I, I know what this is. Yes. It's called a launch pad from Novation. And oh, no. you plug it in and it will color and you can assign sounds. Yes. So what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd set it up for We're the We're using podcast. that for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my and God. I thought, yes. You know, like the, like the Ferris Bueller, like, oh or something like that and just have the sounds randomly appear in the in the episode so now we can actually have like a fake studio audience so listeners we should apologize ahead of time right in advance for the inanity that is going to ensue in upcoming episodes oh yeah yeah so this has nothing to do with rpgs at all well well, but it does if we use it for the podcast yeah and and let's be perfectly honest with you the the necessity of it being used as part of a podcast is negligible but i am yes. going to just for the for the fun of it um plug it yes, in he's, he's plugging it in right now so that you can see the lights go on yeah that's pretty slick so and it runs it has software and you know if you push the buttons you can see the other buttons and and you actually set the yeah, different yeah. so well okay you heard it here first there's something new coming so if any of you are listening and you can think of sound effects that would that would create some humor or, or you know, drops shoot, shoot email us send us let us know on twitter yeah because yep. in all honesty i mean obviously the rim shot the drum rim shot is oh, automatic um <laughs> and i thought about the um uh, the beam me up the beaming sound the transport oh, sound yes. and i wanted one that had um the phaser the, the phaser fire Yes, Star Trek phaser fire and um, uh, Imperial Stormtrooper phaser fire because we know it it isn't hurt. You're not going to get hurt by putting that out. No, no, no. I yeah. Okay, so so if there aren't episodes for the next month and a half, it's because we're playing with the soundboard. (laughs) Okay, good. Now that everyone knows, we're fine. So honestly, I took us off the rails here, but um, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back recording. We have. I just pulled up the the list interview list. We are going to have. We're going to be talking about some games we haven't talked about yes. for a while. Yes. We're going to be talking with some individuals that I just never thought we'd get a chance to talk about. And in all honesty, that is um, reflected yeah. in the faith that you've all had from in us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Really. Us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we hope to get some other folks to come back. Um, Nami, I'm talking about you now that Strange New Worlds is out. Oh, I'm chomping at the bit to download her soundtrack yes. for for um, for Strange New Worlds, and uh, yeah, there's a there, there's an email or post coming. I uh, well, well, we're there's going to be an update uh, an update episode on the book that my well, I was just going to get to it because because uh, I, I wanted to talk. Relevant. Yeah, and I wanted to to. Um, mentioned that you beat me to it was we are going to have an episode where you and Aaron come back and talk about the latest update to your book. Cause there's yeah. a lot that's happened. We've only tacitly oh, mentioned. Oh yeah. So. Um, and, and I, 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 I don't bring that up because of the book, but it's, it's relevant to Nami Melamud and her incredible soundtracks. And, um, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately and I, I'm just going to save it for that. 
Um, but uh, but we'll just leave it there. Nami, don't don't be surprised if you get a mention in our book. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and maybe we'll just we'll just wrap it there. Everybody, thanks as always for listening. Um, man, you know, James, another another wonderful interview. Uh, hopefully you all got as much out of it as we did. Uh, you know, Brad and I are very fortunate. This is the slowest wrap up ever. Brad and I are very fortunate, but, you know, we've both been successful professionally to whatever extent, you more than me. We both have lovely families. Um, we both drive Mazdas. I mean, really, what more can we ask for? Oh, come but, on, yeah. I mean, so, mic drop and route. But, um, I don't think people would understand the Mazda inference, but that'll have to be for. A I don't know if you, yeah, but we do. We yeah. both do. We drive really do drive Mazda. It's an inside yeah. joke, but it's totally true. Yeah. But um, you know, we I think Brad and I derive so much enjoyment, so much meaning out of doing this podcast. The time spent together, the people we get to talk to, um, you know, making our own tiny, tiny dent in the universe. Thanks everybody, as always, for listening. Be well stay well especially as numbers are going back up we will see you next week as always for another interview